I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Psalm 50. Turning to Psalm 50 for me is a little bittersweet because this will then be where we break from the Psalms. Uh, we have gone through the Psalms, one Psalm a week, and as I originally planned that out, one, I was wondering if that was wise or not, but also decided that we would go from Psalm 1 to Psalm 50 and then break for the holidays, and uh, we will begin in the Gospel of Matthew next week and then start a series into the new year through the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be out of the Psalms for 2024, uh, but I have come to feel very at home in the Psalms and, and want to each week look ahead at what the next uh, passage is, and so to come here now to Psalm 50, and it has momentarily a finality for it. I'm kind of sad that this is, uh, th that we're at Psalm 50, uh, because I have felt my own life in prayer life and thoughts and uh, emotions just so deeply enriched by going through the Psalms uh, on a regular basis, and I hope that's the case for the majority of you as well. But this is Psalm 50. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 443. It is a psalm of Asaph, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and, or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And that concludes Psalm 50. <clears throat> it 
It's been interesting throughout the Psalms to see how individual Psalms reflect other books of the Bible. And so last week, Psalm 49 was very much an Ecclesiastes type of a Psalm. And we've had uh, other Psalms that sounded very much like the book of Proverbs. This is a Psalm that I submit to you sounds very much like the prophets. Uh, this is in a brief Psalm, uh, most of the themes that we would encounter in the major and minor prophets of Israel. And it is taking their message as the prophets and still acknowledging that that message is also one that we should put to music and learn to sing together to remind one another about the truths that the prophets instilled, the message that they had for the people. And the first six verses indicate uh, that what the psalmist wants us to remember about God is the future judgment of God, which is much of the work of the prophets, that as they talked about the future and things that would happen in the future, uh, they always had an awareness that that included the reality of the future judgment of God. And it's said poetically that if we just read one or two of the verses, we might see, oh, the mighty one, God the Lord, he speaks from the rising of the sun to its setting, and we might imagine a beautiful sunrise or a sunset, and then and just think, yeah, you know, when I see a sunrise or a sunset, it reminds me that God is beautiful and creative, and it should. This is actually the sunrise out my front door yesterday. Uh, and when I woke up and I saw it, uh, two of the boys were up, and I quickly was like, guys, come here, come here. You, you've got to see this. Like, the colors don't last for, for very, very long. And so as soon as they came out the front door on the front porch with me, they saw it, and they looked at it, and they're like, it looks like lava or fire. And I was like, it actually does. And part of what Psalm 50 is saying is that the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun, yes, it reminds us that God is beautiful and creative, but it, it's actually also a way in which in uh, the rest of the, the verses in those first six verses are much more like we might encounter if we were to go to a courtroom today. When the bailiff says, all rise, the honorable so-and-so now presiding. Court is in session. That's the language of Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6, that when the sun comes up, when it goes down, when we see in, in a variety of ways the creativity and the power of God, we are also supposed to remember that he is the judge over all things, that he is the just one. And when he begins to preside and court is in session, we all should pay attention. We all should show respect to the one who is sovereign over all. We all should be humble and proper before him. And as it gives that uh, beautiful and powerful uh, opening, the first warning that comes is actually a warning to the godly. And so there's this reminder of the future judgment of God and then there's two warnings. The first warning is a warning to the godly. The warning to those who view themselves as part of the covenant, those who are of the house uh, and, and the nation of Israel. And verse 7 says, Hear, my people, I will speak to you, O Israel. I will testify against you. And then it goes on to give a series of warnings. There's even a bit of sarcasm in the verses when God says, Now, if you thought I was hungry. Do you think I'd really come to you for food? Do you think I'd be 
asking you, could you help me with dinner tonight? Or if I had any need, do you think I would come to you? Or have you forgotten that I'm the one who supplies for all the needs of the earth? That I'm the one who's sovereign over all of the earth? And the warning against them is that clearly, though their, 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 their physical actions have continued to involve public worship, that there is a way that we can be engaged in public worship, we can view ourselves as part of the family of God, but grow distant from him. Because eventually, our religion can actually become, for all of us, a form of hypocrisy. Where we say things and sing things we don't really mean, or they don't reflect how we actually live on an ordinary basis. And so the warning is, don't think that simply by saying the words or singing the songs, that that means you automatically are in right relationship with God. And so, so much of what's here in Psalm 50, Jesus himself picks up on as he preaches in the Sermon on the Mount and other occasions. And it's shocking to us, but Jesus himself says, do you know, there's all kinds of ways we can hide from God in prayer. Do you know there's all kinds of ways we can run from God as we tithe or be generous with our resources? Do you know there's all kinds of ways that we can ignore our relationship with God while we continue to gather together, offer sacrifices, and sing? And that is what so shocked many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they heard it. Like, wait a minute. Jesus, aren't you supposed to be telling all those other people about all of their sins and how they need to repent and come into the family of God. But Jesus' message was just as much for the godly as, if you will, the ungodly, just as much for Israel as it was for the Gentiles. And Jesus was picking up on the prophetic tradition of Israel. All of the prophets do this. They have a message of truth that is challenging to its listeners, but the majority of time, those listeners are first and foremost their brothers and sisters. And they're challenging them and warning them against the dangers of hypocrisy, of just going through the motions, of allowing their uh, religion to be mostly formal and not substantive. And it's a warning we all need to hear because the danger and the challenge is for all of us to eventually become hypocritical, that the things that we say sound much, much better than the things that we do. We were given uh, a few gifts, a few things to play with uh, from very generous friends who were moving, and they didn't want to take their ping pong table with them. They didn't want to take their basketball hoop with them. They didn't want to take their billiards table with them. And I was like, you're just leaving it? And they're like, yeah, unless your boys would want it. And I was like, well, I want it, and I think I can get my boys to <laughs> want it too. Um, so I'll try to figure that out. And so figured out there's companies that you can pay to move pool tables and things like that and so as eventually that all then came a few months ago into our basement uh, as it was getting set up I started saying to the boys like oh this is you know cool and fun we can do this or that and I said oh we can even put a tv up here and we can maybe be watching live sports while this is happening I started imagining other things and they got excited in that and then I said wait a minute or maybe we can actually make this like the screen free part of the house where no screens are and so maybe we don't bring a TV down here. And this is where we do things that don't require that. And quickly, like instantly, they right away said, if this is a screen-free place, that means phones too. And I was like, you're right. 
It does. But I'm not usually like watching videos on my phone or playing video games. Like it's your mom trying to tell me something and I want to respond. But they just instantly could tell if you make that rule, here's a way you might yourself try to get around it. And you, you would be a hypocrite if you say, we can't do this, but you can do that. And we can pick up that on so many different uh, occasions. I was in a group uh, convened in downtown Akron where they had sort of representatives from different areas of business and nonprofit uh, sector. And I think I, I was the only pastor in the group. Uh, but there was somebody else who worked for, I think at the time he was an attorney for one of the local cities, not Akron, but one of the surrounding cities. And as we just shared our own journeys, he talked about his experience in the church was sadly seeing a lot that was said, but that was never lived out. And his dad's resolution to that was, it's all fake. They're, they're just all fake. They're all lying. And left and never took his kids back with him. And it was heartbreaking to hear his story uh, of how his father handled the misrepresentation of other people in his life. But all of us can think of those sort of examples. All of us know that we at times are guilty of that. That it is always easier to say we're better than we are. It's always easier to say our intentions are uh, stronger than they are. That's one of the danger with words. It's why in Ecclesiastes it tells us it's actually better to not promise than to promise and not keep it. Because there is almost a way by just saying good things that we could think now those things are true. And if we don't follow them up with actions, if we don't follow them up with integrity, they're just words. And so Psalm 55 begins with a warning to the godly, those who bring their sacrifices, their bulls and their goats. And in all of that, they're being obedient to the law of Moses. They're, they're being obedient to the sacrifice requirements that were given in worship. They're not doing something wrong. But Asaph is saying, but don't forget the whole point of that. Don't think you can do that and then somehow go and just live any way you want and treat people any way you want. The whole purpose of sacrifice, the whole purpose of worship is to draw you closer to God and then draw you closer to God to draw you closer to the people around you, that you would love them better and treat them kinder. Then it shifts to a warning to the wicked. So first it addresses Israel in verses 7 through 15, and then in verse 16 it says, but to the wicked God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? And then it goes on to challenge them. That if you look out and see theft happening and you rejoice at that theft, how can you rejoice in theft and, and know me, the God who is the righteous judge? If you see people breaking their promises that they make to one another in their marriage vows and you you celebrate that you and you enjoy that you want to keep company with them and become like them how can you do that and come before me as the righteous judge who does all things well if you if you like to hang around those who slander who uh, who use their tongue to frame deceit all of those things are are challenges that the bible again consistently would say those are not good things they're wicked and we should feel convicted by them to say, God, I want to repent from that. If we've done it, that we would want to repent from it, 
but also that we wouldn't want to be surrounded by it in a way that we become complicit with it and that it's okay for other people to do it around us. And so there's a warning that God is saying, whether you consider yourself part of the family or not, if you say, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite. I'm just, I don't go to church and I don't care about God and I'm just going to live my life the way I'm going to live my life. Whether you're here or somewhere else, God's watching it all. <laughs> he's sovereign over it. There's nowhere we can run from his presence. There's nowhere where he's not observing us. And as the author of all of our lives, he is the one to whom all of us will one day give an account. And so we don't get away with things just because other people are hypocritical in what they do, which is one of the ways we try to handle sin. When, when we see other people sinning, we can almost feel good about our own sins if we point out theirs. And so Psalm 50, just very briefly, is saying, just cut that all out. You don't get away with it in the church. You don't get away with it outside of the church. You don't get away with it because somebody else did it worse than you or not. We all stand before the one God who makes the sun rise and set on all of us and the one before whom all of us will stand one day. And when we feel convicted by that, the challenge is then to say, okay, if we, if we take the warnings seriously, whether we would locate ourselves with the godly or with the wicked. How do we get to a right relationship with God? And so this psalm, written by Asaph, it's the first of Asaph's psalms, is an invitation to authentic worship. He's recording this, and it's in the book, because he wants the congregation to sing these words to one another not to simply speak judgment over everybody, but in the recognition that judgment is coming to warn everybody to say, but we can right now choose to not be a hypocrite. We can right now choose to not continue to live in lies and to live uh, in all the different challenges we might have. Just like you chose to come here this morning, you can choose while you're here this morning to say, God, I want to stop pretending. I don't want to say I'm better than I am. I don't want to stop looking at other people's problems and thinking I'm better because they're going through more things than I. I just, I, I don't want to live on those terms anymore. I want to live under you. I, I want to be open. You already know everything about me, so why should I pretend? And I want to choose to let you lead my life. I don't want to think I'm better because I offer sacrifices. I don't want to think I'm better uh, because I, I bring goats or whatever it might be, what our equivalent of all of that is. I just want to acknowledge that you're God. You're the righteous judge. And I want to enjoy the life you've given me. I want to enjoy the gifts that you've given me. I want to enjoy the other people around me and not be envious of them and not try to tear them down. I want all of that to be actually a way to glorify you, not a way to make me better. And so, as it ends in verse 22 and 23, mark this then, you who forget God. In verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So there he's not saying do those things in order that God will save you. But it is this, this recognition that for the godly, 
and the wicked, we have to come before him and we'll only experience his salvation if we repent from our sins and say we're going to stop faking it. We're going to stop pretending or we're going to stop running from it. And when we come to that place in our life and can make that kind of decision before him, we then get to receive and experience the salvation that he offers us because we're done trying to save ourselves. That's the message of the whole of Scripture, not just Psalm 50. We can finally receive the salvation that God offers us through his Son and our Savior Jesus Christ when we receive it as a gift from him instead of trying to do it ourselves. I mentioned this is the, the first psalm of Asaph. There are 12 of them in the psalms. Um, but I found it also interesting to learn about him as a worship leader and the way that he took on a unique role in Israel's history and then led the people, not only in his day, but set a pattern that influenced generations and generations after him of authentic worshipers of God. So this is just a brief summary from an article I found by Bob Coughlin. He said, Asaph ministered at the tabernacle as a Levite. When David recaptured the Ark of the Covenant and returned it to Jerusalem, Asaph was appointed by the other Levites to raise sounds of joy on the cymbals in 1 Chronicles 15. Later on, Asaph was elevated from cymbal player to chief musician. David commissioned him to be among those who ministered and worshipped regularly in the tent of meeting to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, according to 1 Chronicles 16. When David assembled other musicians for worship in the tent of the meeting, he chose some who were the sons of Asaph, and the sons could refer to blood relatives or those he was mentoring. These sons were to serve the Lord by prophesying with lyres and harps and cymbals. Asaph and his sons served so faithfully under David that Solomon appointed them to serve at the dedication of the temple. It was there that the song was raised with trumpets, cymbals, and other musical instruments in the praise of the Lord, and they sang, 2 Chronicles 5, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Side by side, Asaph faithfully taught, instructed, and ministered with his sons and others who in turn did the same for their sons, who in turn did the same for their sons, on down the generation. About a hundred years later, King Jehoshaphat prayed for protection against the invading armies and received a prophetic word given by Jehaziel, one of the sons of Asaph. 140 years after that, during when Hezekiah was king, it was the sons of Asaph who were among the Levites who cleansed and consecrated the temple so worship could be restored. Eighty years later, after the great apostasy and the book of the law was found, King Josiah wanted to celebrate Passover again. The singers turned out to be the descendants of Asaph. When the Israelites returned to Jerusalem for their captivity in Babylon, nearly 400 years after the dedication of the temple, Ezra records that numbered among the exiles included 148 singers, the sons of Asaph. And when the foundation of the temple was laid, once again, it was the sons of Asaph who led the worship. Asaph and his descendants were purposeful and intentional in passing on the practice and understanding of musical worship to future generations, but their focus was unmistakable. God is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and all of its power. We thank you for 
the reminders that we have that you are the just judge, that all of us will stand before you in judgment, and that you want us, though humbled by that, to not live in fear of that, but to embrace the freedom that comes when we, we lay down our guards, when we stop trying to save ourselves, when we stop trying to make ourselves look better than we are, when in our brokenness and our humility we simply come before you. And we receive what you have for us. You are the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You are the one who causes the sun to rise and set. You are the one who gives us life and breath. And so, Father, would you help us to learn the, the joy and to receive the invitation of authentically worshiping you, acknowledging that you are good and that it's your love alone that endures forever. In your son's name we pray. Amen.